All right. Well, welcome to the January uh, 2021 Midday Cafe. We are thrilled that you're here. We love this fresh start and we're grateful for this community. So thank you and know that your presence with us today is just a gift. Um, we always want to let you know that there are ways beyond this time just to connect in the Enneagram community because this is a journey, friends. We know that. Um, and so we've got some great opportunities in the Great Lakes region, and we'll just preface and say we have discerned as a Great Lakes board, really, it's kind of anywhere that touches a lake. You're welcome. So um, you don't have to be in the Midwest, and uh, we have board members from other states uh, as well. And so I want to let you know, um, one of our um, board members and uh, a beautiful Enneagram teacher, Lori Tate, is doing a workshop. Um, coming up, it's online, so you can join starting February 24th, and it's a five-week course just called Embracing Your Harmony Triad. So if you have even touched the uh, spiritual rhythms for the Enneagram, the work that Claire is doing um, out in the world, Lori's work will complement that beautifully, and uh, that online course, we'll post a link for that here in the chat in just a moment. And then we also have some accredited certification. So Claire actually just finished uh, the January certification and training. And Claire, you can say, I don't, how many did you have in that training? I know that. I, I think it, I think it was 48. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. a great, great, great group. And I think somebody here from Canada, Ramona, she was with us. Yeah. And so that was an online training. They have another training coming up in June of 2021. And it is great soul work that will equip you then to say, and now what? How can I go out and use this into the world and really integrate all three centers of intelligence? So brilliant work. We'll drop a link in that, uh, the chat for that as well. And then piggybacking on that, um, I also work with Teresa McCloy at The Real Life Process, and she offers a certification for facilitators. So for people wanting to use the tool of the Enneagram and the work they do. And the brilliant part is we've partnered with Claire and actually, it's a dual certification. So you get not only the real life process, you know, ongoing coaching content, community, and the certification, plus you get the motions of the soul training that um, and certification that Claire does as well. And then our great um, teacher, Dr. Jerome Wagner, has some awesome things coming up winter, spring, and summer 2021. So I'll drop Jerry's link in as well so you can see what's happening at the Enneagram Spectrum. Uh, um, just want to preface and say we are recording this today, so just know that anything you share, uh, we're going to be sharing it to our YouTube channel so that we can get um, the great work that's going to be shared out into the world a little further. So without further ado, just want to introduce our president and uh, Claire Lowridge, and she's going to introduce today's guest. Yeah, and Erica, am I mistaken, or doesn't Dr. Wagner have another, um, another training coming up here as well? He Another does. certification. Yeah. So can you tell us about Dr. Wagner's training? Yeah. Well, I have the link. I'm going to drop it in there and it'll have his dates and everything um, so that you can check out what's available. Because if summer, you know, doesn't work for you, he also has some things um, a little later in the year. So wonderful. And Danielle Fanfare just finished his class. What was your favorite joke from Dr. Wagner during the, the week-long training, Danielle? <laughs> so we're still actually moving through the modules, but he told another one yesterday. I've been texting Claire all the jokes. So she's been getting, her phone has been pinging from me. Um, but 
he said uh, he was <laughs> he was looking for his PowerPoint and he finally found it and he goes I found my PowerPoint slides. Now I'm just looking for my true self. <laughs> <laughs> so I warned Danielle that, you know, I mean, really, he may need a show produced because, of course, he he has most of us. It uh, doesn't matter how many times we hear his jokes. He has our he has our hearts and our laughter. And I love that joke about the true self, because with Dr. Drew Mosier, I, I have to tell you his book. Um, Enneagram of Discernment is available to you right now at a 20% discount, but I have to tell you, it's worth full price. Um, when I, I read the introduction and, uh, and Dr. Mosier said this beautiful line about who am I, and he tells us in this introduction uh, about people who would say, this is not who I am. This is not who I am. And have you ever said that where you had moments in your life where you responded in a way that came from your reptilian brain, you know, where there was just a, a, a reaction that you say, that is not who I am. And I loved his words. He, he really says that, you know, the Enneagram is not actually about who you are, but it's about who you're not. So I love that you'll, you'll unpack that and you'll actually quote yourself properly there um, because I, I really do see a, a person that um, in Dr. Drew Mosier as a person who is willing to take a look at uh, the collective of who we are in a way that is kind and is merciful and is scholarly. Um, so he is a college professor at Taylor University. He's an author. He's the father of five. Uh, so, you know, he's got his own Enneagram Petri dish going on at home. And, uh, and, and the thing I love uh, is one of your other titles that you're Dean of Student Engagement. And, and when I think about someone who's helping students engage and also um, helping them know who they are not. Uh, at a Christian university, I, I want you to know how intrigued I am at how you might carry out that good work. Yeah. And so we'll ask you a few questions about that. But can you say a quick hello before we go into our opening practice? Yeah, I'd love to. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's great to be with you. And I'm just so thankful and honored to uh, play a small part in the collective work that you all do. And uh, those of you that I know, I respect your work immensely. And those of you who I don't know, I look forward to, uh, yeah, getting to know you and connecting with you in this way and hopefully in the future. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited because I think that there are some discernment questions that can help us in a time where we might automatically respond either mm. out of our dominant style that is gut our dominant style that is heart and effective emotions or our dominant style, which is trying to compute where in the world are we now, yeah. you know, almost a year into COVID um, and certainly a year that has um, taken our breath away yeah. on more than one occasion. And oh, how we need to be people who practice discernment. Uh, so welcome. And, uh, and may 2021, uh, be a year that we we do good better. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. So everyone, why don't we just take a moment and uh, we'll just um, allow ourselves to be open and available 
to this moment that you've invested um, about 50 minutes of your life and we know that your life matters. So you've chosen to be here and now. And so let's just for a moment, take a breath and notice how much of us is here or how much of us is in the last encounter we just had. And notice that without judgment and see if you can't bring yourself more into this conversation around the Enneagram and discernment. And I'll invite you to just get comfortable in your body in a way that gives you a way to hear what in my Christian tradition would be to hear what the Spirit is saying. And taking a breath. And knowing that you are a habitation. That within you, you are a spiritual being on a human journey. And so there's a way to listen. A way to be present. A way to be open and available. A way to hear something new. And so however you'd like to do that, if you'd like to hold your hands open, if you'd like to place your hands on your heart, and lift your hands and your face up, and just... Be as honest as you can in this moment and say something true. About your desire for this day. And then when you feel like you're able to come back to this group of people, some you know, some you don't know on the screen, and be present to the people in this room. In whatever way you want to practice hospitality to Dr. Drew Mosier, you can smile at him, you can give him a, a wave. I don't know what the Texas welcome is or the Netherlands welcome is, but however you'd like to welcome and say, we're here and we want to hear words of life and hope. So welcome, friend.
Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Good to be with you. So in this wonderful book called The Enneagram of Discernment, you talk about nine questions that take us into discernment. And, uh, and of course, you know, nine is just a great number when you're talking about the Enneagram. Yeah, see what I did there? Yeah. Yeah, see what you did there? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and I wonder um, when you just maybe as we launch into this conversation, when you're working with students and, mm. uh, and you're working with nine styles and nine lenses on the world, um, how are you doing at a Christian university with this ancient mm. tool uh, that has really taken on some modern wonder and strangeness? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good way to put it. You know, it's interesting. So, um, yeah, I do work at a, a Christian college, uh, which uh, basically means that whatever your kind of one idea of what that means is, it's it's certainly present here, but that's not the whole story. So we have, um, and this is true of the Enneagram. So we have, uh, you know, students who come here who uh, are well-versed in the Enneagram when they set foot on our campus. Uh, typically through their churches that they may have attended and grown up in. We have students that have never heard about it. We have uh, students who uh, think that it's uh, awful and will destroy your faith. So, and, and just corrupt it to no end. And so we, I have the whole gamut there. And so I really do have to adjust how I talk about the Enneagram and how I engage students with it, depending on what perspective they're bringing. Uh, in the midst of, as we know, if it, those of us that went to college or maybe have children who are in college, it's such a crucible of discovering who you are anyway. And so, and so many seemingly important and landmark decisions or at least trajectories are made, which um, just makes it all the more fun and interesting to me. You know, and I think what, what better way to help students kind of navigate uh, this, this important time in their life than helping them discover uh, who they truly are and, uh, who they're not. Yeah. And who they're not. So that is the big, hairy, audacious idea in this introduction here. And so can you talk a little bit about the quotes that you used and saying, I am not, this is, I'm not not who I am. This is not who I am. Right. So I I start the book um, with probably some well-known, at least to many of you, like celebrity apologies, (laughs) which I think have kind of a constant theme that's often given from, I'm guessing, uh, really high-end PR firms (laughs) who, you know, when a celebrity or public figure has a fall from grace and they have to give kind of their apology Uh, very often you can just go through and look at them time and time again, it will include this phrase, this is not who I am. Almost as a way to kind of distance themselves from the act or the event, right, that uh, was so um, damaging, you know, to their career reputation. And so I I kind of play with that a little bit because I think that um, even though that may seem trite and, and it may be a canned response, you know, given from a PR firm, uh, often I think it is, I do think it conveys something about the human experience that um, we so often find ourselves doing things and then wanting to distance ourselves from those things that we do and having some confusion and frustration over this kind of uh, underlying sense of identity. Mm. And so 
Uh, and I think that's where the Enneagram can be so helpful. And in so doing, help us really be- live lives with more wisdom. Because I, I also connect this idea of struggling to know who we are with uh, the need uh, for wisdom in our lives. I find it tragic, tragically ironic that we uh, are information rich, but wisdom poor. You know, I think having um, literally the world's worth of information at our thumb tips hasn't necessarily made us any more wise, you know, and I think uh, the need for discernment in order to be able to um, uh, authentically live with wisdom uh, is, is perpetual. And it's something that we always need, not just when we're in college, right? Not just for my students here on campus, but for all of us and certainly me. Yeah. And I think, um, would you say that there's been a lot of that's not who I am in this last year um, where Mm. people who are followed around with, you know, with a video or a microphone, we have so many opportunities to misspeak or to uh, you know, respond out of that dominant instinct, that dominant style. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I, I think there are plenty of opportunities for us. Um, I think we've always had opportunities to experience that phenomenon of, wait, that, that's not who I am, or that's not who I want to be, or that's not who I hope to be. Um, I do think with um, the stress and uh, the uniqueness of this past year on so many fronts in terms of uh, political tension, uh, racial reckonings, uh, pandemic, you know, I could go on and on. I think it has created a collective stress that probably causes us to maybe react as opposed to respond more often and then find ourselves in these situations where we're trying to backpedal <laughs> and, and, uh, maybe hope for a, a mulligan where we could maybe uh, do this with some discernment as opposed to just um, maybe a knee jerk reaction that is caught, you know, on camera and perhaps going viral, hopefully not. Right. Right. Or even just in your living room with people that you really yes. care about. Right. Or, uh, you know, in my, in my world, um, I, I have, you know, both a, in my vocation and my avocation uh, we have people that we can disturb in a heartbeat because, yeah. um, because we, we have such divergent uh, thinking in this moment. And so I wonder how you see these discernment questions helping us to, um, to regulate our anxiety. You know, you talk about mm-hmm. in your book that uh, those that were born in 1997, I think is what you said, have more anxiety um, than ever before. And so how do we, how would those questions help regulate anxiety and help open us to wisdom? Yeah. Well, um, and maybe what would be helpful here is okay. If I share my screen, would that be all right while we talk Claire? Okay. Um, so what I'm going to do all right. Can everyone see this? Okay. Here. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, given that the Enneagram is a visual tool, it's probably helpful, um, to see it to some degree. Um, so when I talk about discernment, especially as it relates to how we kind of make wise decisions, 
um, whether they be, you know, the thousands of tiny decisions we make every day or kind of the big milestone decisions that we all make in life. Um, I think it's helpful to think about what it is and, um, and then, cause if we know what it is, then we can work on cultivating it. And if we know what it is, and then we have a better understanding of our dominant Enneagram style, then we can really learn how to navigate a, what I call a way of discernment that can be helpful to us. So uh, here are just some, some thoughts I have about discernment. I do think it is a gift and a practice. So it's something that we do receive, I think. Um, and, uh, but I also think it's something that we can cultivate and I think this is where the Enneagram can become so helpful. It does require self-knowledge. Like we have to have a, an, an understanding of who we are and, and live in, a, in some sort of authentic way so that we can make wise decisions. Um, and I also say it's a process as opposed to a destination. I think we're prone, especially certain Enneagram styles are prone to um, look at decisions as uh, a destination to arrive at, as opposed to a process to live out. Mm -hmm. um, it's also very complex. And I also think discernment is holistic, which is where the Enneagram can be really helpful that it, um, it requires all of us, not just our brains, right. But it requires all of our beings. Mm -hmm. Um, so I boil all that down in the book and then, you know, spend, uh, a, a lot of tens of thousands of words unpacking it, but really it's applied identity is what I'm talking about here. That when we have a, a, an authentic sense of who we are and live accordingly, we live with discernment. Now that's easier said than done though, right? So um, what I do then is um, I, I pose these nine questions, walk kind of readers through the nine questions, which I'll share here, and then uh, go into each type and how each type needs to navigate those nine questions. Um, but, uh, first what I do is, um, I look at maybe some of the things that are in our way, some of these hindrances to discernment. Um, and, uh, I'm sure many, if not all on, uh, this call here are familiar, you know, with the triads of the Enneagram and even how, uh, you know, the triads and the intelligence centers are often paired with. Um, these primary or dominant emotions, which is why, you know, in some Enneagram circles, you're, you'll hear the gut triad or you're, you'll hear the, hear the anger triad. Now, um, we could do all sorts of things with these primary or dominant emotions, but I do think for this conversation, it's helpful for us to think about how our anger, especially as uh, an eights, nines, and ones, our anger serves as a barrier to discernment. And in the book, I actually got to go into some of the physiology and the neuroscience of what anger does to us and how it actually inhibits our ability to make good complex decisions. Or in my triad, I, you know, my dominant style is a type three. So I'm very familiar with this, you know, the heart triad, we really struggle with shame. And if you've experienced shame, you can, you know, that kind of, uh, inward kind of imploding feeling, you know, that kind of comes over you like a fog and just kind of powers you down. It, it's a barrier to discernment. And then those head types, the, um, the fives, the sixes and sevens experience fear. And if fear uh, can also be a barrier to discernment. And so what I encourage people to do is as these emotions arise, because often these emotions arise when we face really important, stressful, or complicated decisions. We're prone to feel anger, shame, or fear. 
And instead of them becoming barriers that kind of shortcut or circumvent our decision-making, um, I encourage us to think about how they can become invitations. So, and, um, and, and I think that that works, uh, no matter your faith tradition, I think it works, uh, if you uh, adopt contemplative spiritual practices, uh, meditation, or if you're into you know, Jungian uh, shadow work, I, I think um, these uh, barriers can become invitations with, with some intentional work. All right. So the nine questions, should we go into the nine questions, Claire? Oh, yes. These nine questions, okay. everybody get your pen ready. Okay. And then I'll have a summary slide. Uh, I'm a big fan of the summary slide. So I'll have that at the end too, if you miss anything. Um, so in this way of discernment, you know, I have nine questions and uh, again, see what I did here. I divided them into three triads. Um, now these triads don't uh, automatically correspond with a circle of the Enneagram, but I do think they help kind of group and categorize um, what I consider to be that these, if we think about discernment as a a journey that we walk. These are some of the territories that we go through. And the first is the vocation triad. And by vocation, I use that term uh, really, I'd say, uh, holistically and globally. I consider vocation to be a sense of calling upon one's life and upon all of one's life. So for instance, I consider my vocation not just to be my job that I have here in my office on campus, uh, but I also consider my vocation as something I'm called to at home, in my community, in my faith tradition, and so on and so forth. So we're going to get into that. And then the wisdom triad, this is where I get into a lot of the intelligent centers of the Enneagram and do some work there and how we might be able to cultivate a holistic sense of wisdom. And then the practice triad, this is where uh, I look, and this is uh, perhaps one of maybe more of the unique contributions I make to the book or it you know, to the conversation is I look at time and how each type engages time mm. and in some ways that can maybe be helpful to us. So with that, okay. Uh, the first triad, the first three questions on this way of discernment, I think are questions of identity, purpose, and direction. So uh, I think the first question is, who am I? Mm. Uh, um, fundamental, uh, existential, and yet critical question. This question of identity, I think, is so important, and the Enneagram can be so helpful to us, because um, I, I talk about in the book, um, if you've ever uh, seen or had a caricature drawing taken of you, and kind of com compare personality style to that, um, that, that word caricature comes from um, uh, the Italian language and uh, means Simply, it means a loaded portrait, which I think is very fascinating. And oh. if you look at a caricature, you think it, it simplifies certain aspects of your, of your look, right? And exaggerates others. And in so doing, it's really loaded. And so um, maybe peeling away some of that and getting to a true sense of who uh, you are is a really important question. And a good question to ask anytime you're facing a decision. Okay, who am I? Reminding yourself of who you are. Um, and second, why am I here? This is this question of purpose. Um, and this, this can be a, a tough question at times, but um, what I also do in the book is talk about how each Enneagram type tends to settle for what they truly want. And they tend to settle for something uh, less than what they truly want. And that's kind of this loop or tape that continues to play for each personality style. And uh, what I hope to do with this question is help each Enneagram type 
move from just settling in kind of these default settings over and over again to flourishing Mm -hmm. in a sense of purpose. And then third, uh, the question, where am I going? It's another good question to always ask um, as you face a decision, encounter the proverbial fork in the road and uh, just ask, okay, where am I going? And does this fit in with where I want my life to go? Right. Mm -hmm. And where I, where I intend for my life to head, that is a question of direction. And one of the things that I encourage uh, all types to do is instead of just looking at that question as as trying to peer down the road, actually uh, looking at uh, the question instead of what's ahead to what's beneath. You know, I've heard discernment defined as the ability to see beneath and through. And I think um, we are uh, not as conditioned to look down and beneath of where we are so that we can actually plot a good trajectory for our lives Mm -hmm. in the many decisions that come our way. Yeah. So those are the, those are the three that uh, comprise the vocation triad that kind of sets the foundation for a lot of the type and intelligence work that I'll do in the other questions. Should I move on Claire? Do you want to ask anything? Yeah, I just am uh, hearing, I I don't know. It's an old, uh, it's an old scary movie. What lies beneath? That's good. (laughs) Yeah. Instead, yeah. Instead yeah. of what's ahead, what lies beneath? I think, especially as a dominant in style three, yeah. that, that helps me drop down and in yes. rather than just moving ahead and then finding out what the, you know, the carnage I left in my wake. Yeah. That's no, really that, that, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, uh, and for certain types, it's easier to drop down and in, uh, other types like ours, uh, style three, not our forte. So, um, we need some work and some help doing that. Yeah. Okay. So this third triad, these, and you'll notice, um, some abbreviations that should be familiar to you. If you uh, have read spiritual rhythms for the Enneagram. Um, and, uh, and what I, what I do here is I look at the intelligence centers, um, and especially uh, from the lens of uh, the stances or sometimes in some circles, they're called the social styles or the Hornavian groups of the Enneagram. And think through these three questions and how those intelligence centers help us uh, consider the three questions of what am I doing, which is um, I would consider to be really a gut center question, uh, not exclusively, but primarily. And then um, moving into our heart center, what am I feeling? And then moving into our head center, what am I thinking? And of course, as we know that there's you know, corresponding intelligences with each of these um, intelligence centers. And I talk in the book about how uh, even though this ancient wisdom of the Enneagram has long taught this, that our heads, hearts, and our guts um, help us uh, take in information and make sense of it, we're actually learning from neuroscience and neurobiology of how that this is actually true and that these three centers actually do perform some really important functions and work together. And uh, so if we can bring these three centers to bear, when we face a complex situation, I argue that we cultivate wisdom. Mm-hmm. So when we use our bodies, our hearts and our heads uh, in collaboration and coordination with one another, we, um, we cultivate wisdom. So these are three great, great, uh, great questions to ask when we are faced with a challenging decision. Um, and this, uh, for if you've done any kind of social styles or stance work, uh, then you 
uh, have probably encountered um, the work of Hurley and Donson, which I borrow from in the book. Uh, who they talk about uh, a dominant supporting and repressed intelligence center for each stance, which I have in the illustration here. You see the stances there in their fun little triangles. And um, which then tells us that each stance struggles with one question more than the other, right? So for the aggressive or assertive stance, uh, those three types are going to struggle with what am I feeling? And so uh, they are more likely to try to make a decision without even considering and consulting their heart center. And I, I would say that uh, something that we need to do then is cultivate what I call a wise heart, you know, for those three types, because we need that information. I need that information. Uh, or for the dependent or in some circles known as the compliant types, um, you know, what am I thinking is an important question for them to really dig into and consider and draw upon the intelligence that they have as opposed to maybe question it or shirk it, you know, for something else. And then the withdrawn types, the fours, fives, and nines, I think uh, really need to lean into this question of what am I doing and what do I need to be doing, you know, in order to act and engage my world in order to make this decision. So I think those are three questions um, that can really help us all, but we need to actually bring all three to bear. <laughs> and in our Instagram style often wants to focus on one or two more than the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I would just add as another way of viewing that and, and certainly, um, all models are incomplete, but some are helpful. Uh, I think, um, when I look at the dismissed childlike self and, uh, and find that it really does have to do with nurture, um, mm. what is repressed or what is, yeah. uh, you know, what is dismissed or what is, um, as Dr. Robert Mulholland would say, what is um, undernourished? Yeah. And so if there's been a spot that is uh, undernourished based on your family of origin or your primary caregivers uh, dance, um, we yeah. find what we have, you know, just kind of relegated to the basement. Like, That's right. you know, this, this can definitely be in the lead, but that is just not what I'm looking at. So, but you know, those are just, great questions to say, I can't come to wisdom unless I'm paying attention to each of these centers of intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. And I think by having them listed and developing a practice of walking through all three just ensures that if if we have to ask ourselves the question, we at least have to be honest if we're going to say, no, I'm not going to answer that question as opposed to pretending it's not there. Right. Yeah. And in the book for each type, I give practices to help you know, kind of raise up or cultivate these maybe malnourished or undernourished questions. Yeah. Yeah. And that maybe even just saying it right now, everybody, you've got your, you know, you've got, you're on mute. Just go ahead and say the question that you least, uh, you're least likely to ask. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you can name it, you know, you can, uh, you can tame it. Anyway, that's my Pentecostal background. Okay. let's. Oh, hey. (laughs) We could talk about that. I'm sure. Okay. Um, All right. So what I, as I mentioned, what I, what I recommend for uh, aggressive types is to really lean into cultivating a wise heart because they're so good at acting and thinking, thinking and acting dependent types, cultivating a wise mind. You know, again, it doesn't mean that they're unintelligent or not smart, but they're often leaving some of their brilliance on the table. Um, and withdrawn types, cultivating wise bodies, you know, learning to listen to the body as opposed to, um, 
you know, maybe pretending it's not there and, uh, and focusing more on the, the head and the heart. So a lot more we could say about that, but I, I do want to get to the practice triad. Um, and what I did here is, uh, when I was doing some research and study, um, I came across, uh, in Hurley and Donson, these kind of passing lines in some of their work that each, uh, each stance in the Enneagram tends to have a dominant orientation or preferred orientation to time. But then they didn't say really anything else about it. They may have in, in maybe some of their teachings or, you know, other things that I couldn't find. And so I started playing around with this and thinking, you know, if the Enneagram itself is uh, inherently logical and triadic, which I believe it is, then I think that there's a triadic experience with time as it relates to each type. And so what I mean by that is that each type has a dominant or preferred orientation towards time supported by another orientation towards time, often at the expense of a third orientation towards time. So uh, what that would look like for me as a type three, I won't speak for you, Claire, but uh, for me um, is that uh, three being in the aggressive stance, uh, I tend to be very future oriented. It, I have goals that I want to achieve. I have things that I'm working towards. I have my eyes on what's next mm -hmm. and I am present enough to get to that next thing on the agenda. <laughs> just present enough. Yeah. Just present enough, but it also fuels a lot of my kind of getting things done mentality. What I struggle the most with is the past uh, because the past slows down my efficiency it causes me to, uh, if I slow down to reflect upon the past, then I let my heart catch up to my body. <laughs> and, and that can be scary for me as a three sometimes. And it also uh, causes me to confront my past mistakes as opposed to just pretend that they're in ancient history, right? And so that's one example. And we can go through, you know, we could go through some other time, uh, each of the nine styles and see how this um, kind of dominant supporting and repressed stacking kind of plays out. And so what I encourage uh, uh, those, uh, everyone to do with regards to discernment is ask these three questions, which really get at the three orientations of time. Uh, first, what am I remembering? This is the past. Now, uh, for the withdrawn types uh, who are uh, past-oriented, past-preferred, this is an easier question for them to engage for the withdrawn types, not, as I said, for the aggressive types. And then uh, secondly, what am I experiencing in the present, this is an important question. Uh, this is the one that the withdrawn types tend to struggle with the most um, uh, because they often want to vacillate between the past and the future. Uh, and then third, what am I anticipating in the future? This is the one that I would argue the dependent types struggle with the most because they're so kind of focused on the tyranny, the urgent, those um, uh, to, to get done what's right in front of them. They don't have the time or luxury to maybe cast their gaze up and look ahead to a good and vibrant future. So I think those three questions can help mitigate against some of our uh, unwillingness to uh, in, uh, live into what I call the fullness of time, which I think uh, helps us discern our lives better. So if I, I would argue that if I'm facing a decision that's really important, if I reflect upon the past, if I reflect uh, and consider my experience in the future, and if I'm honest about what am I anticipating, or I'm sorry, in the present, and if I'm honest with what I'm anticipating in the future, I will make a better decision. Mm -hmm. And I would guess that you would too. And so uh, I think the, that's important. So what I do then is um, in these stances, I encourage 
cultivating for aggressive types, what I call a sacred delay, an intentional (laughs) pause to kind of look back before moving on to the next thing. And that can even, dare I say, include celebrating, which is not something that these types also do. It's not just about owning up to all your failures, but also truly honoring and savoring good work that's been done. Well, and let, let me just pause right there. Yeah. So uh, maybe nobody, maybe you've never seen the word sacred and delay, uh, right, together. Right. <laughs> so it's a little Perhaps bit of a not. jumbo shrimp kind of. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah. But I think the past is a powerful teacher, right? Mm-hmm. We learn from the past. We should anyway. And then dependent types uh, cultivate sacred vision. Like uh, intentionally practice what it looks like to cast a vision for your future. Um, It will feel luxurious and indulgent or um, impossible to some uh, in the dependent stance, but I think it's really important. Mm -hmm. And then withdrawn type, sacred presence. What does it mean to be fully here now without maybe worrying about what was or dreaming about what could be, what does it mean to be fully present in the here and now with your full self? I think that's, it's an important thing to consider. So again, tons more to say about that. I want to be mindful of time and make sure we have time for questions. And Yeah. So we do want to open it up for question and response. And, uh, and if you, uh, if you'd like to put something in the chat there or raise your hand so we know, uh, we'll, We'll unmute you as we see that. And let's see here. Yeah, you have another three saying what lies beneath. She's liking that as well. Uh, Danielle is saying, what am I feeling? Um, do you want to, do you want to unmute yourself and say what you're, um, say what you're thinking about there, Danielle? Or not, we can always say pass. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. yeah. So, do you want to say? Do you want to ask a question around what you wrote in the chat, Danielle? Okay. Can you hear me clear? I can yeah. Hear you now. Okay, yeah. good. I've been, <laughs> I've been trying to work this unmute button on my phone. Okay, so I'm dominant in uh, type one with a super muscular nine wing. My, my nine wing looks like Popeye's arm. All right. And, um, <laughs> and so, um, you know, in that, in that uh, nine wing, I find myself delaying, not, not sacredly delaying, but uh, the other kind of delaying my, my feelings, um, in, in favor of what other people are experiencing and what their experience, uh, you know, confirms about my goodness or my badness. Right. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and so I, you know, I, I really like, I really digging in. And so I'm even in a, in a, in a space right now where um, a relative has um, violated my COVID-19 boundaries and, um, of course, that relative, knowing how I feel about these things, knowing I'm a rule follower, is, you know, really, um, really providing a lot of backlash mm. um, because I've addressed the boundary that has been crossed, right? Sure. And so I have just decided to be still and just cultivate my inner observer and really sense into what's happening for me as it, as it is my boundary that's been crossed, you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. just want to get any, any um, wisdom from you 
about how you would encourage a one with a nine wing to tune in and tap into um, their feelings and, and their journey of healing when they've been triggered, particularly regarding um, pandemic safety, right? Wow. That's complicated, uh, but a really good question. I, I do think um, my understanding of one with uh, a strong nine wing, and please feel free to correct me or push back, is that there is a lot of inner conflict and inner turmoil. Because um, from that kind of one space, there is such a, yeah, a, a sense of rightness and goodness and a standard to be measured against um, that often comes in conflict, conf, uh, conflict with that nine wing, which is uh, really uh, about calm and keeping peace and uh, maintaining perspective. And that can be a difficult place to kind of reside in, especially in stressful situations when someone crosses your boundaries, which you know are wrong. Um, and then how to respond to that. And, and so I think it makes sense that with a strong nine wing stillness <laughs> is, is a posture that does make sense to me. Um, uh, but yeah. And I think here, if we looked at these questions, I think they could be helpful. So, you know, what am I thinking as opposed to just remaining still, what am I thinking could be a helpful question for you as a one. Uh, to consider like, what am I truly thinking through as I navigate the stress of this uh, environment and this, this dynamic? And then also what am I anticipating the future, right? As opposed to just fixing on what was wrong right now, what is wrong right now, what could be, what's a hopeful vision look like? So I can begin to work towards that um, with or without this relative's permission, but that I can start, start that journey. Uh, That's tough though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is helpful. Thank you. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, and I love that because it leads into this next question, which I can, uh, I, hmm. I think I can put two together. Okay. Uh, great. Roger asks, what is the role of community? And hmm. then Michael Fox says, um, uh, biblically wisdom is relational and yeah. your work seems to honor that either by gravitation or navigation. So do you want to speak to what our folks are? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Those are important uh, points that uh, I get to in the book, but, you know, due to time, didn't get into quite a bit. But uh, I do talk in the book about the important role of the community, right? Um, Because sometimes we can get so caught up in our kind of own identity crises and existential angst that uh, we really do need a vibrant community around us to help us discern. So discern, discernment, uh, it's the gift and a practice. It's also an individual process and a communal process. I think that there are discernment things that we can do on our own and discernment things that we can do with others, right? Um, so for instance, uh, you know, the Quakers have this tradition of a clearness committee. Like when they're facing a difficult kind of crossroads, they go to this clearness committee who uh, is appointed to just ask good questions of them, right? And then uh, the uh, the answer tends to emerge, right? So it's not a it's not where you submit a proposal and they say approve or not approve. It's they just ask good open ended questions, which help you process through the, the decision in community. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it's so critical, and it is really wisdom is relational as well. It doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? And because human beings are relational, 
right? And and that's part of what's been so challenging about this uh, season of isolation and quarantine, and is that um, I worry that it has it's truncating and limiting some of those aspects of our wisdom formation. Um, and so we have to really fight for them and be very intentional about the relationships that we have. And so what I, what I often tell people, uh, is how do you, uh, who are your people who know your hopes and fears and will care for them? Well, like those are the people that you should be, uh, asking to help you through decisions. Right. Um, and I, I think we all need to have kind of that, that running list, at least in our heads of who those people are. Yeah, beautiful. And those people who will look at you and say, I know who you are. Yeah. Right. And right. That, um, that was one of my dad's great lines when we would leave the house and say, remember who you are, you know? Wow. And so there's this calling home to the, the true yeah. self. I'd like to add someone who knows that's not you. You know, do you have a friend that says, hey, I, I know, so let me call you back. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really good. Um, I have uh, Kathleen Acker saying, and I, I would love for you to name it yourself, Kathleen, because I don't think I'll be able to read this beautiful six um, uh, wondering well. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Okay. I mean, well, it's, it's. It's just interesting to me, and I've noticed this before, that someone dominant in the thinking space, that my thinking, yeah. and I think it's because it tends to be dominated by anxiety, aka fear, mm-hmm. isn't, isn't, isn't all, it isn't so wise. Right. You know, yeah. so it's just interesting to me that, that one would, ass, you know, I could assume, oh, I'm in, I'm in my head. Let me tell you, I'm really good at thinking. Right. I can right. analyze anything, you know. But that doesn't mean I have wisdom. So there's exactly an there's an invitation for me in this. Yeah. yeah, no, I think you're right, Kathleen. And the same is true for the threes in the room and the nines in the room, um, right. and, who are firmly in the middle of the the triad at which they are kind of in which their intelligence center is dominant for them, but also repressed. <laughs> so, um, and what that means is that we are using that intelligence center all the time, but we're misusing it most of the time. Often. Yes. Yeah. You know, for sixes, it's probably thinking all the time, but not always the most productive or wise thinking for nines. It's doing stuff all the time, always kind of being a busybody, but maybe not doing the thing that really needs to be done. Or for threes, it's often reading a room and understanding the feelings that are present in the room and then instead of using it to cultivate empathy, maybe using it as strategy or intel, right? And, and so we have these kind of settings that we have to really disrupt and, and so that we can integrate that intelligence center more authentically with wisdom, which is hard work for the threes, the sixes, and nines in that kind of unique way. Yeah. And I think that that's where spiritual practices, I think, personally come in for me in terms of the, the quieting the mind. Yeah. And I think, you know, so yeah, the silence. Yeah illness, all that. I just think that's just really, really helpful. Yeah. And I, I think t- this is especially true of sixes. Um, what, what I talk about in the book is that it's, I would argue it's the type that probably has the greatest intuition, but trusts it the least. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, which is why, um, you know, sixes are always preparing for the system to go down 
and it rarely ever does. But when the system does go down, they're the ones who kind of rise up and are ready, right? Because they've prepared for this, you know, they're ready. Um, and they just have that intuition that they just don't trust often. Um, they don't trust themselves enough. Um, and so, and that's kind of the wisdom work often for a six is to trust their own intuition and insight. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. So good. Um, you know, I, I wonder too, even in these days um, where all of us, you know, we've said it, you know, your, your Enneagram style is showing and uh, in days where uh, none of us, none of us know what's ahead um, in terms of what this world will look like and, uh, and how we are um, engaging in community, as you say, that's truncated. Um, and so we've got the overthinking, the overfeeling and the over, you know, overdoing. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if there's a, uh, a practice that you could give all of us that is kind of, you know, a, a portable practice, uh, uh, something in your back pocket. You know, I, I love what Carol's saying about how she's noticing the, the gifts that come from Paul. And so you're actually, you're, spark, you're bringing together some happy neurons on this call today. People are, they're, uh, they're enlivened to be looking at some things, but I wonder if you could give us uh, one one way that you um, have seen can help us to uh, connect um, all three centers mm. among all nine styles in a way that has harmony uh, and um, and in a way that uh, that could offer us a hopeful future. So that's all we need that we need that in two minutes. So. Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, yeah, cause in, that's a great question. Cause in the book, I give a lot of type specific exercises, um, to help with the practice triad questions and the wisdom triad questions. And, um, you know, to, to think of something that is more comprehensive, um, you know, it reminds me of the quote from Victor Frankel, you know, between, uh, you know, stimulus and response is a space. And in that space, uh, I think is, is where I think wisdom and growth and development lies. And so uh, I think any time, any type in any situation can make room to fully engage a decision, it's to their benefit. Because what often so happens is uh, we are so used to the mask that we wear, our Enneagram style kind of driving the bus, that we often don't even think about the way we go about our decisions and how we make them. But actually with some, uh, with some intention and attention, if we actually create space to evaluate and consider our uh, decisions, then I think we'll start to see some of the gaps and or some of the maybe unhealthy patterns that are maybe more kind of maladaptive or disruptive. And uh, so uh, it, I, I really like the definition of hospitality as making room. And I think being hospitable to oneself uh, means that we make room. And maybe a simple practice would be to be hospitable with one's calendar app and make room. <laughs> uh, I, another one of my favorite quotes is from Annie Dillard. How we spend our days is of course, how we spend our lives. 
And so if, if we spend our days just kind of moving from calendar appointment to calendar appointment to calendar appointment and don't make room for ourselves to actually breathe and consider the, the, the way we're living our lives, then, um, then that's the life we live, you know, for the rest of our life. And so making room by creating space and margin to actually think and evaluate is really critical and helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Margin. How about that? You know, and, and who would have thought that we still don't have margin when we're all in in captivity? (laughs) Well, yeah, because there's endless things that can fill, fill our time, right? Whether that's binge watching Netflix, whether, you know, it's all sorts of things. Um, Or for a lot of people work, uh, if, thankful to have jobs, but it looks completely different and it's more stressful and more time consuming to do that job if it's from home, you know? And, and so there's all sorts of ways in which I think we need to look back at, and especially now our calendars and see, are we creating margin um, to live our lives so that our calendars aren't living them for us? Um, because I, I think the other maybe temptation we could have fallen victim to is think that this has been uh, this is just a temporary weird blip in our lives, this COVID situation, but it's, it, you know, we're approaching a year, <laughs> you know, that's a long time to develop habits and patterns uh, that maybe we need to think and evaluate. Yeah. There's a word. So even as we take a breath here, friends, um, I know there are some other questions about slides and just know that this is recorded. So you'll be able to go back and look at those slides on the recording Um, but let's just take a breath in our closing moment and be hospitable to ourselves and welcome all that's been happening in our minds. You know, the, the happy neurons that have been firing here, causing us to wonder and imagine and, and systematize. And then bring attention to this beautiful heart that we've been given, even maybe the center of your chest. And take a breath and be hospitable to what your heart wants to feel. What we haven't had the time to feel. And just bring your attention to the center of your chest as the heart math people teach us that there are more neurons going up to our brain, giving us information. If we would pay attention, we can be hospitable. So maybe there was some sadness around knowing that you haven't been paying attention to what you're feeling or maybe some hope that says, I I actually can ask that question and be hospitable. Just making a little bit of room here to notice. And then just allow yourself maybe in this last moment to do Just a quick scan to see how you're doing in your body. The psalmists tell us that even our bones know 
David said, when I kept silent about these things, even my bones felt like they were wasting away or my heart came alive. Just, just notice your body as a place for wisdom and be hospitable here. Welcoming if there was a, a tightness in your gut or the hair on the back of your neck was raised. And just be hospitable right here. Head, heart, and gut. Hospitable with your thinking and your feeling and your doing. And just wonder how you can make more space to be hospitable with yourself. Hmm. And maybe we can just give thanks here for this small space that can lead to larger space if we allow it. And if we bring attention to what came alive for us today and then intention on our calendar app. And um, so we want to thank you, Drew, so much. Um, we'll have here all the ways we can follow you. Yeah. You guys can see that podcasts and the book and uh, any closing words that you'd like to say. Oh, it's just, it's been an honor to be with you and uh, thanks for your engagement and interest and uh, keep in touch. I mean that. So would love to stay connected with any who, um, yeah, are interested to learn more or have questions or want to stay connected. Yeah. And Drew, if you have space, you know, any place that touches a lake, you're welcome yes. to, to hang out with us anytime. And, um, and we, you know, we want to uh, just remind everyone that this will be recorded. It has been recorded, so you'll be able to see it on the Great Lakes Facebook page. You'll be able to see it on YouTube, and it will also be featured on uh, Enneagram and Christianity podcast. So, you guys, we have, this has been rich, and uh Lots of compliments there from people saying the simplicity and the brilliance of the way you put it together. Just really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's been an honor and a lovely group. So I'll be back for sure. All right. Thank you.